Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. If you're here with us and you're relatively new or you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Ben James. I am the lead pastor here at FCC Grayson. We are stepping back into the book of Ephesians this morning. And how, how many just KCU students who may have been in chapel on Thursday morning, who, how many of them do we have here KCU that may have been in chapel Thursday morning? We got, got a couple, okay. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to set up a horrible dad joke like I did on Thursday morning. Listen, I went to bed Thursday night feeling like I had conquered the world. The, one of the best setups and execution of a terrible dad joke in my history happened on Thursday. But don't worry, I'm not going to do that today. We are going to get back into the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and here in just a few moments, we're going to be reading kind of a lengthy passage out of Ephesians 4. It's going to be verses 17 through 32. But before I get into today's passage, I would like to take just a few moments and kind of catch us up to where we left off because it's been a few months since we have been in Ephesians. So I decided that I needed to do that also these past couple weeks. I've gone back and I've listened to some of the messages, in particular the message where we left off before we went into our look at the book of Psalms and then into the mental and emotional health series. And I was quickly reminded that the last message that I spoke on Ephesians was one where I had to begin with the clarification of the differences of the definition of the words implicit and indictive. Um, so, you know, that was a good way to revisit some of the more embarrassing moments of my pulpit ministry. But we have moved into chapter 4 in Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul was giving us theological, foundational, principle, uh, base-level belief Christianity that's applicable in our belief system and our theology. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul moves into the more practical application of this. So we've spent a week or two before, uh, you know, back in the month of July, we spent a couple weeks in chapter 4 looking at these practical application points. Paul was saying, I've spent the first three chapters telling you and revealing to you and instructing you on the truth. Now we need to transition into how this truth should affect your life, how this truth should change you, how these foundational knowledge pieces of God and, and the faith and the Christianity and the work of Jesus Christ, how this should be playing out in your everyday life. I, all, I, I feel like it's also important to remind you that Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus through the lens of writing it to the church. This is not to an individual person in the church. This is not to the pastor of the church. This is not to the elder board at the church. This is to the church at Ephesus overall. And Paul did this for the majority of his writings in the New Testament. That's why you can look at some of the writings, some of the letters from Ephesus to Galatia to Corinth, 
to Rome. And you can see these themes flowing and filtering through each one of these letters, each one of these epistles that Paul writes, because he primarily writes to the church. Also understand the setting. Let's be reminded of the setting again. The church at Ephesus, this church that he's writing to, is a very young church. It's a very new church. And it's made up primarily of Gentile converts. Again, you had two classifications. Jews, Gentiles. Jews were the ones who believed in God, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people that followed through you know, the, the lineage in the Old Testament. So you had a handful of people in Ephesus that would have been Jewish converts, which meant that they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But for the majority of the church in Ephesus, it was Gentiles. And Gentiles basically just meant everyone else. So you had the Jews, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, and then everyone else, and they referred to them as Gentiles. So that's the target audience that Paul's writing to here, and they are facing beginning to face persecution, beginning to face some suffering. They're beginning to face some hard times and some difficult situations because of the fact that they are no longer part of the, ch of the culture at Ephesus, but they have now become Christians, started following Christ, and they are now countercultural. Folks, the church being countercultural is not something new. Jesus was countercultural. The early church was countercultural, which means that the foundation of our morality, of our belief system, of our ideology, of our, the, the way that we filter things and the way that we perceive things and the way that we view things is fundamentally different from that of the world. And that hasn't changed. So we shouldn't consider it dangerous if the church is facing some persecution because we're countercultural, we should consider it dangerous when the church is not facing persecution because we fit in with the culture. Amen? That's when we should become alarmed. That's when sirens should start going off. That's when red flags should be raised. Is when, as a church, we can't tell the difference between us and the world. So take heart and be encouraged in your faith if you or the church, the local church, the global church, the big C church is facing persecutions and danger. Pray for them, yes, but be encouraged because that's what Christ faced. And we are, as a body of believers, inherently countercultural. So let's read our passage this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, and it's chapter 4 of Ephesians. Verses 17 through 32. Verse 17 begins saying this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I want to pause right there and give a point of clarification this morning. So Paul's writing to a primarily Gentile church. We just talked about that. And we've mentioned before in this study of this book I don't know of one of us in here who, who is not considered a Gentile. I don't know of anybody who has a Jewish background. So all of us, if not all of us, the majority of us are Gentiles. So think about this line as the people are reading it, as Paul is penning this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. 
As I was driving in this morning, I, I like to take moments and uh, listen to the audio Bible and the passage that we're going to be uh, you know, referencing and, and studying that morning. And I was reading, or I was listening to this passage on my way in, and that, you know, the futility of their mind don't act like the Gentiles do. Do you know what Paul was saying to the church here? He was basically saying, hey, listen, what you need to do is, well, just don't act like you. You need to not act like you. And I thought, that is so perfect. That's my problem. I act like me way too often. So as your pastor, I need to, I need to act less like me. And you, as the congregation, I need you as your pastor, I need you to act less like you. So that's what Paul's telling us here as Gentiles. Listen, don't act like you. Act like Christ, because you've been made something new. And in these next few verses, he's going to tell us this. He's going to show us that we have been made new. We now have a new life. In verse 18, it says, because they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. And I think that 18 and 19, if all of us were to be honest, that's our fleshly tendency, isn't it? Some of those things, a few of those things, if not all of those things, is what we find ourselves dealing with and battling against when we're dependent upon our flesh. But Paul makes the correction here in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now I want to pause here for just a second. Verse 22, 23, and 24. I don't know if there is a better summation of a current believer's life, a earthly bound, still breathing here, struggle of a believer than what we see in verses 22 23 and 24 because 22 tells us what we often fight against the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and it's corrupt and it's deceitful yeah you don't have to show hands here because i think i know how many of us battle against our own corruption and our own deceitful nature that we can, at times, deceive ourselves. We don't like being deceived by others, but I can tell you all from me that I am, I'm the most deceitful one in my life because I try to convince myself that I'm something that I'm not, or I'm not something that I really am when I'm operating in my flesh to try to make myself feel better about it. But then 23, so 22 tells us what we were, 24 tells us what we are, what we should be, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the new life, God's righteousness, God's holiness, that's what we are in Jesus Christ. 23 serves as the vehicle as to how we get there. What's the conduit between verse 22 and 24, the old life and the new life? Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the importance of a renewed mind, not only in our mental and emotional health, but here we're seeing that renewed minds and being renewed in the spirit and by the spirit of our minds is 
critical for us, us not only being mentally and emotionally healthy, but that's what takes us from the old creature, the old person, full of deceitfulness and corruption, to put on the new, living creation that's in Christ of righteousness and holiness. So with this, there's an expectation set here. And again, this is a church-wide application. So Paul's writing to the whole of the church. But let's not miss the fact that there are individual, practical applications that we can put into effect in our lives. Now, this is going to be important, this understanding of this is a church letter. This is not an individual letter. But even in Paul addressing a whole corporate body, there are things that we need to do as individuals. But today, there are a few evidences of what that should look like in our lives. We're a new creation. We have a new life. And Paul's going to tell us here in a moment what that looks like. So I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to give you a couple points real quickly, and then we're going to look at these evidences. So 25 through 32 is where Paul starts saying, this is what this new life should look like. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you so before we start individually pulling these evidences out point by point these applications I want us to make sure that we're realizing that there are three things in this text that we need to be aware of the first is this text is a relational text okay the evidence for this is that it's a relational Paul is giving us instruction as to relating to one another so every one of these evidences are relational the second thing that these evidences are is that they are there's a negative or there's a negative then a positive so Paul gives the old tendencies of the old corrupt deceitful flesh and then he follows it with a positive, which is evidence of the new life of holiness and righteousness. So it's relational. Each one of them are positive, then they're negative. And then the third thing is that each one of them is a belief and then an action. So we have the action and the belief that's followed in this. And most of us will think we struggle with this sometimes. And here's how we kind of struggle with it is sometimes the word theology is intimidating to us. Sometimes the word theology leads us to thinking that, well, that's for someone who's smarter than I am to study theology. Theology at its base form is what you believe. Because we tend to, most of the times, think that, man, I'm not worried about the theological stuff. I just want to love on people, man. I just want to love people. And that's the new person, 
If we're still dealing with the old corrupt, deceitful person, we're like, I don't care about theology. I just want to choke somebody. A lot more of us can relate to that one than the first one, right? It's like, I would just rather smack somebody than look at them right now. But I want us to look at this because both of these are important. Yes, we just want to love people. Yes, that's the goal. Love people as Christ loves them. Treat them the way that Christ treats them. See them the way that Christ sees them. But we can't understand all of these things if we don't know what we believe. So there's always a belief that's followed by an action. And and this next slide will give us some evidences of that. In verse 25, we're to speak the truth. That's the action. Why? What's the belief behind that? Is because we're all part of one body. It's important for us to speak the truth one to another. Brothers and sisters, why? Because we're all part of one body. I don't need my right hand lying to my left hand. And as Devin read this morning out of Corinthians, that's a really powerful passage that Paul writes about the importance of us understanding that we're part of one body. Verses 26 and 27, the action is anger, but don't sin. Well, the belief of that, the reason for that is because you don't give place to the devil. Friends, know this, that the enemy wants nothing more in your life for for him to have a foothold in it. For him to be able to pull you away from your relationship with Christ. For him to be able to cause distance and a chasm between you and your Savior. That is the ultimate purpose of the enemy. Because I don't know if I truly believe that the enemy in this life wants my ultimate destruction. I don't know if that's his main goal or his end game. All I know is that the one thing I can tell you in my life, if the enemy can get a foothold and distract me from God, that's him winning every time. But the action is to anger and sin not. Why? Because if we anger and we're led by a sinful motive in that anger, then that's giving the enemy a foothold. Verse 28 is do honest work. Do honest work. So that's the action. The theological belief behind that, the why behind that, is so that you can be helpful and you can be generous to the people that need. It's not just working to accumulate wealth for yourself. It's not just working and being honest in your work to accumulate a retirement that you can be comfortable with. Which I, listen, I got my retirement statement on email the other day. I'm glad to report that I'm going to be able to retire three days after I'm dead. <laughs> on point, buddy, right there on target. But we do honest, hard work so that we can be generous and helpful to those who need it. Verses 29 and 30 says, No corrupt talk to come out of our mouths. So that's the action. The reason is is that we are to build up the body. We're to build up one another. And also, there's this little caveat here. It honors the Holy Spirit. If you ever want to know what quenching the Spirit is, the quenching the Spirit is corrupt talk, slander, backbiting, gossip of another believer. It's quenching the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And quenching it in yours as well verses 31 and 32 
Put away toxins. You know, just this toxic behavior here of the, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I don't know if any of you have experienced these. I've experienced all of these at some point in my life. And there's been nothing good come out of any of it. I've not profited out of any of it. I have not grown closer to God through any of these. So these are all toxins in our lives. And it says to put away all toxins. It says be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's a challenging list, isn't it? It's challenging to me. But understand that this is what Paul, he leads us into this with verses 22, 23, and 24. Old man, old person, is deceitful. Old person is corrupt. The new person in verse 24 is in Christ. It's God's holiness, God's righteousness. It's Corinthians 2. We are his righteousness. But that 23 of being renewed in the spirit of our mind, that's when Paul goes into verse 25 and uses the word therefore and we know that if we see a therefore we ask why is it this side of the church wins i don't know if it was i think it may have just been john Lynn, but she was much louder than anyone else we ask what it's there for so paul has laid this out this new life he's saying you're new you're new creation you're new life so therefore it should look like something. Let's look at these just really quickly this morning. The first thing is that to put away all falsehood. So in verse 25, replace lying with truth-telling. Now, I think that each one of these has different levels in our lives. Different levels in our lives. How many of you in here are parents? Can I see your hands? How many of you intentionally taught your children to lie? How many of your children have ever lied to you? My mom is watching at home. She may have just shouted or something. I don't know that I brought up that because, yeah, that happened. But replace lying. Now, we understand this. We don't need to, as believers, these bold-faced lies, you know, just to bring up something. We, in our flesh, we've developed levels of lying, right? Oh, it's just a little white lie. What? Oh, it, it's not necessarily. The, okay, maybe I told a story that was mostly true. And maybe I exaggerate a little bit. Which, Billy Murray, if you're watching me, I know you do that all the time about my stories. And yes, a preacher has been known to exaggerate from time to time, especially someone who likes to fish and golf. <laughs> but there's different levels to this thing. Speak the truth. Be truthful. Now, again, let's be careful because we're commanded to speak the truth in not love to speak the truth. A lot of times there's a big difference. Speak the truth in love to build up for the betterment. Don't be deceitful. Don't exaggerate. Don't spin a yarn from time to time. Be truthful in your conversation. A lie is a lie, and an untruth 
is not true, regardless of whether it's that much not true or it's completely not true. Speak with truth and do it with love for the betterment of the person. And really quickly, a good example of that, because we always wonder about that, right? How do I speak the truth in love and have the right motives? Because there's often times that we will speak God's word into someone's life. And this is a book of love. Amen? This is God's love letter to us. But sometimes we can quote this love letter with so much hate that it takes every bit of love out of it. So how do we do that? I think we've learned the lesson with um, with Lazarus in that situation. I know I've told you this before, but this is just something that's good to remind us of. When his sisters went to Jesus, when Lazarus had died, they sent a messenger to him because he was, he was some days off. And the message that the sisters sent with the messenger to Jesus was this, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Notice that phrasing because it's really important. Because we like to qualify things with how much we love something. Or how much we love someone. Like that's what's getting and gaining our acceptance. Is our level of love and passion that we have to something. I believe that these sisters understood that it's not based on our fallible, fault-driven love. The love that's going to fail more often than what it doesn't. But what we need to do is, Lord, the one whom you love. Everything needs to be based on the love of Christ in our life, not on our fallible love, but His perfect, infallible love that loves each and every one of us beyond anything that we could comprehend. Speak the truth in love. Next one, the next evidence, is that we need to replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger. I I read out of the ESV this morning, And I had somebody tell me, he's like, I like that version. Verse 26, what's the first two words of that, if you can remember? Be angry. Be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I remember one of the best fleeting moments of anger that I think that I've ever seen personally in my life was from my daughter, when she was a toddler. So she was, and she's not here today so I can talk about her. She had this toy, and she was over at her cousin's house. And her cousin's just a little over two years older than her. So my daughter, the toddler, the two plus a few months older cousin is there with her. And at that age, any of you who are the older sibling you know, even if you're not siblings, if you're together, you call the shots, right? Like, I'm older, I want the toy, I'm going to go get it. Well, that's what her, her, her cousin did. She went, and she decided, Rachel's playing with the toy that I want. So she just walked over, got the toy, grabbed it, and walked back over to the other side of the room. I kid you not. How many of you have seen, uh, let's see, what's, what's the, the name of that Disney movie? that's got the anger emotion in it yes inside out listen if you don't if you don't want to get in your feels don't watch that movie 
Okay? But Inside Out had this anger, you know, this anger character. And I mean, he would just all of a sudden just go from nothing to just fire and flame shooting out the top of his head in a moment. That's, that's what happened with my daughter. She got up, ugh, I mean, face blood red, just, and she let out kind of this. If, you're, if you've watched Adam Sandler's movie, Water Boy, you, you kind of hear this, and she just goes barreling across the room and just tackles her cousin. Just like, boom, full on, just laser out, flat backs her. My daughter gets up, grabs her toy, walks back over to where she was and sits down. And was just fine after that. I don't know about you, but when I get angry, it's usually not that quick as I'm getting over it. Anger, sin not. We know that Jesus angered, right? Turned over the tables. Because of the heresy that was taking place in the temple. Because of the mockery they were making of God. See, and this is another one of those that there's layers to it. It's not just flying off the handle. It's that holding on to that anger. You know, that person has done you wrong. Or, since we're going along with the parenting thing here, those who have done your babies wrong. If you're holding on to that anger, that's what that's not righteous anger. Because God forgives. So we need to replace unrighteous anger with righteous anger. The next evidence. Replace stealing and working with giving. I think we we covered this pretty well as we were talking about the, the action and belief. But not only is this just talking about straight up Stealing, you know, just like broad daylight, unrepentant, it's not mine, but I'm going to take it and make it. This can maybe be putting another hour or two on the work week because we feel like we deserve it. This could be fudging a number on the taxes because, I mean, yeah, other people are doing it. Why would I not? I should get what's coming to me, Right? Work. Work honestly and don't steal. The next evidence. Verse 29 and 30. Replace corrupt talk with edifying talk. I, uh, I had a phone conversation this week and it was, it was kind of disturbing on several levels, but they were, it wasn't anybody in this church, but they were asking for counsel and they were just talking so poorly about their church. Now listen, corrupt talk, I mean, we know that, we, we know what corrupt talk can be on the surface and very evident. But you know, when you're talking badly about your brother and sister, you're talking badly about your church, you're talking badly about the people that love and serve the same Savior that you do, that's corrupt talk. It's not edifying talk. And this isn't an endorsement that if they're doing something, if, if they have some type of misbehavior or sinful behavior in their life, this is not a, a acting like it doesn't exist, but there are ways to edify even in the most uncomfortable confrontations. 
even in the most drastic situations of where repentance is needed and discussions are warranted, there's a way that you can do it that's corrupt, and then there's ways that you can do it that edifies, that builds up, that pushes them more into their relationship with Jesus Christ. And lastly, this morning, the last evidence. Replace toxins with kindness and forgiveness. Again, let me read this list of toxins to us. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Let all of those things be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And I'm not going to go too deeply into it because I know that we've, we've all heard similar recountings of it, similar lessons on it. But bitterness and unforgiveness in particular, if you're bitter or you're holding unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else, it's not hurting them. It's hurting you. It's a poison that you are giving but you're ingesting it yourself. Because bitterness and unforgiveness in a believer's life is totally opposite of what we see in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask the praise team if they would to come up. You know, sometimes I know the struggle with me is to put off this old life Put off this old man, take care of that sin and that corruption and that unrighteousness and deceitfulness. I saw an example one time, and I've used it a couple times, but if you were to have like a white t-shirt on that just had big black letters that spelled out sin on it, it's very apparent that there's sin in your life on that shirt. What so many of us like to do is instead of taking that shirt off, putting that sin off, is we like to try to take the life that Christ gives us and just put on that new white shirt over top of it. But the problem we have is that the sin still bleeds through. The sin is still evident in your life. It's still there. And we can try to cover it. We can try to cover it. We can try to cover it all we want to. But it's still a corrupt, deceitful person trying to mask being corrupt and deceitful when Scripture commands us over and over and over again to put off the old person, to put off your old self, and to put on the new life, to put on that Christ-given life of holiness and righteousness in God. Church, I feel like if there's a time that the world needs to see a countercultural message of unity and love and encouragement and edification, if there's ever been a time that it's more necessary than now for the world to see these evidences being true in our lives and in our church, I'm not aware of such a time. So I challenge you this morning, if you're here and you're a believer, if you Call Christ your Lord and your Savior. I challenge you to look at your life through the lenses of these evidences and ask, 
are these evidences flowing in my life? Or am I taking that old, deceitful, corrupt flesh and just trying to mask it with things that I know I should be doing?